Our scripture reading today is found in Luke 7, 1 through 10, which is found on 863 in your pew Bible. If you guys don't own a Bible, take that home with you as a gift from us. Luke 7, 1 through 10. After he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Emma. Well, good morning. Uh, welcome again to the Brookside campus of Christ Community. Uh, my name's Taylor. I'm one of the pastors here, uh, and it's my privilege to lead us through a time of teaching. Uh, but before we do that, would you pray with me? Father God, you're so gracious to have sought us first. God, we pray that you would meet us this morning, just as you met the centurion and so many others in your story, as we seek you in response. Be with us this morning, in the name of your Son, Jesus, and by the power of the Spirit. Amen. So I have to start this morning uh, by making a little bit of a confession. Uh, and I'm going to be honest, this confession will anger some of you. And uh, some of you were probably like, a little skeptical already, like this guy, really? Uh, and, and if anything that I still had, uh, any credentials, any credibility that I still had with you, I'm sure I'm going to lose right now. Uh, but I have to get it off my chest. I have to say it. Uh, so you ready? Here we go. I'm not super into the Marvel franchise. I'm sorry, I'm just not. I said it. Uh, I, I don't know why, I don't know what happened, but I just kind of totally missed the boat on Marvel. Uh, I, I watched the first couple, and they were pretty good, but after about the third one, I just kind of dropped off the map. And, uh, you know, since then, all that I really know is that this pile of dust was floating around my Facebook feed uh, for about a year. I don't really know what that was, but apparently it had something to do with Marvel movies. And, and it's not that I think that they're bad movies or anything. I've just never really been into superhero movies. Uh, they're just not my thing. Uh, but, hey, I, I get the appeal. I understand the appeal because there's something so human, isn't there, about... about wondering and hoping and desiring and dreaming that someone somewhere out there could do that thing or could be that person. So, so for many of you who are like, 
either want to kill me right now or find the nearest elder, uh, just know that that just means the movies have done what they intended to do. They made you marvel. When you marvel at someone, uh, you're more than just impressed with that person. It's more than, than being like Shirley from Community, just kind of like, oh, that's nice. And he, yeah, Community fans, that was a spot-on impression. No, when you marvel at someone, you stop in your tracks in wonder and awe. You're surprised. You're maybe even shocked, astounded even. And often that feeling lingers over the course of hours or even days, and you can't stop thinking about it. And throughout history, this is how people responded to Jesus of Nazareth. No one else in history has captured the people's wonder and curiosity quite like Jesus. And this reality is at the heart of the series we're going through called Rediscovering Jesus. And in this series, we're following Luke, who was a historian who who went around and, and gathered eyewitness accounts of people who actually saw Jesus and marveled at what he said, what he did, and who he was. But what's intriguing about the account that we're going to look at this morning in Luke is that we actually see Jesus marveling at a person. For all of the reasons that people have marveled at Jesus, Jesus encounters a human being who makes him stop in his tracks in awe and wonder and surprise and astonishment. Just let that sink in for a second. God is astounded at the quality of one person's faith. This is even more striking because Jesus is only said to marvel one other time in the Gospels. In Mark chapter 6, Jesus is in his hometown of Nazareth, and Mark uses the same Greek word uh, that's translated marvel to describe how he reacted to their poor faith. But here it's this man's great faith. So this morning, what we're going to ask is this. What kind of faith makes Jesus marvel? In the good way. In Jesus' view, what is truly marvelous faith? So if you haven't already, I invite you to turn with me to to Luke chapter 7. We've spent the last uh, three weeks unpacking a sermon that Jesus gave uh, that's recorded in Luke 6. And in this sermon, Jesus is describing what the community of his kingdom looks like. So he teaches that in his kingdom, uh, the poor can experience God's blessing, the hungry can be satisfied, uh, the weeping can be joyful, enemies can, can be loved, outsiders can become insiders. And he ends this sermon by leaving us to wrestle with our own response to Jesus' words. Will we hear them only? Will they go in one ear and out the other? Or will we hear them at a heart level and place our trust in Jesus and follow him? So Jesus finishes this sermon and he heads to Capernaum. And immediately in Capernaum, he finds an example of a person whose faith puts this kind of trust on display in a surprising way. So look with me now at Luke 7, starting in verse 2. It says, Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. 
So Luke starts by introducing us to a man with a sick servant. Uh, The gospel writer Matthew also records this story, and he tells us that the servant, at the very least, was paralyzed. Uh, But here, Luke's emphasis seems to be that that the situation's pretty dire. Uh, he's, he's, He's on his deathbed. And somehow, this man has heard of Jesus. We don't know how, but but word makes it to him that Jesus is in town, so he sends representatives from the local Jewish people uh, to to seek his help, uh, seek Jesus' help on his behalf. Let's keep reading. It says, when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, he is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he built us our synagogue. If you've ever applied uh, for a school or a job, you've probably had to fill out uh, or ha- provide a letter of recommendation or at least some references. Uh, when I came on staff at Christ Community about two years ago, uh, which is crazy to think that it's already been two years, uh, and, and when I did that, I had to provide a few references. So I had to go around and find people I knew and basically be like, hey, just tell them I'm not totally an awful person, please. Uh, that would be great. Yeah, just vouch for me here. Uh, that's kind of what's happening here, is the Jewish leaders are, are vouching for, for the centurion. So the Jewish leaders come, and they give him a good recommendation to Jesus. Now, when we get a picture of who this man actually was, the fact that this is happening is pretty shocking. The first thing that we know about this man is his vocation. He was a centurion. Centurions were were commanding officers in the Roman government who commanded roughly a hundred troops. In many ways, centurions were were the backbone of the Roman army. They were chiefly in charge of carrying out the discipline. And here's what this means. This guy represented the very presence of Roman imperialism to the Jewish people. Every time a Jewish person would see a centurion, they were reminded of the fact that they were under the oppression of Rome and God had not yet liberated them from that oppression. That's what this guy symbolizes. Not only that, but but we know he was a Gentile. He wasn't a part of Israel. He didn't grow up hearing stories of of Israel's God bouncing on his mom's knee. Uh, He he wasn't sitting on the edge of his seat waiting for, for the Messiah to come. By all accounts, he was an ethnic and religious outsider. We also gather from this story that he was fairly wealthy. The leaders tell Jesus that he bankrolled their synagogue in Capernaum, which indicates that he was a man of means uh, who, though he wasn't Jewish, was sensitive to the Jews and, um, and had gained a little bit of their respect. So you put all of this together. For careful readers of the Gospel of Luke, this guy is unexpected, completely unexpected. A Gentile soldier who is rich and powerful? Totally unexpected. So the first thing we learn about marvelous faith is this. Marvelous faith is found in unlikely places. Marvelous faith is found in unlikely places. The kind of faith that makes Jesus marvel is available to anyone and everyone. It's not limited by by social, religious, or ethnic boundaries. It can be expressed by the rich or the poor, the the, the powerful or the powerless. It's not only for people who are insiders. It's not only for people who are considered clean. It's not only for people who appear righteous. It's not only for people who have a rich biblical knowledge. Jesus can and does find this faith in all kinds of people. Marvelous faith is often found in unlikely places even ordinary people like you and me. So the Jewish people vouch for him. 
They tell Jesus that this guy is worthy. They list all the ways that he's been sympathetic to God's people. He's, he's leveraged his resources for Israel. And it works. It's enough to make Jesus go with them. But as great as his reputation is, that's not enough to make Jesus marvel. Let's see what does, starting in verse 5. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you. So while Jesus is still on his way, uh, the centurion sends more people to meet Jesus. And this time it's, it's some of his friends, and they stop Jesus and they relay a message from the centurion. And that message reveals a couple of important qualities that lie at the heart of his faith. The first is this. Marvelous faith is found in deep humility. Marvelous faith is found in deep humility. Did you notice as we were reading or as, as Emma read earlier, how the centurion's view of himself is the exact opposite of what everyone else says about him. The Jewish leaders told Jesus, he is worthy for you to do this to him. And even though everyone is singing his praises, even though everyone else is saying he's worthy, what does the centurion say? I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. In these words, the centurion reveals a profound respect for Jesus and his culture. He sends friends instead of going himself. He says, I don't even presume for myself to be able to come to you. In other words, I'm not even worthy of direct contact with you, Jesus. He has a sober view of himself, and he's looking to the interest of others. It's an unmistakable display of deep and authentic humility. And I, I don't think that he was thinking with this message, Jesus is going to be really amazed at the kind of faith that I have. Like, like just wait, I'm going to blow him away. No, he probably didn't think his faith was very great. But what he did realize was this. It doesn't matter who I am. It matters who Jesus is. Friends, even a little faith goes a long way when it finds its way to Jesus. Marvelous faith is found in deep humility. So because of all of this, he, he says to Jesus, Jesus, don't trouble yourself. Don't trouble yourself. In other words, I don't want to be bothersome to you. I don't want to cause you great difficulty, make it any extra effort for you. Don't trouble yourself. And what's interesting about this is that in the very next chapter, Luke chapter 8, uh, Luke tells us of another person who says this exact same phrase to Jesus. In Luke 8, there's a man that Luke introduces us to uh, whose name is Jairus. And Jairus is a ruler who has a daughter who's very, very sick. So he petitions for Jesus' help, and Jesus comes. He's on his way. He gets held up a little bit, then he keeps coming. And just like in this story, while he's not that far from the house, Jairus sends people out to meet him and says, Jesus, don't trouble yourself because his daughter has died. In other words... Don't worry about it. She's dead. It's a lost cause. And this is where the centurion's faith is so incredibly unique. Because look at what he says in verse 7. But say the word and my servant will be healed. 
He says don't trouble yourself, but not because he thinks there's no use, but because he thinks that Jesus can heal from exactly where he is. And this is the heart of the centurion's marvelous faith. Yes, marvelous faith is found in deep humility, but only when that's paired with a remarkable confidence in Jesus. Marvelous faith is found in remarkable confidence. A lot of ideas probably come to your mind when you think about uh, faith, uh, but, but one of my favorite definitions comes from David Elton Trueblood, who was a Quaker uh, theologian and writer. He says this about faith. Faith is not belief without proof, but trust without reservation. Faith is not belief without proof, it is trust without reservation. That's the kind of faith that the centurion has. It's not merely abstract belief, it's not merely true ideas about Jesus, but it's a ground-level confidence in who Jesus is. That's the kind of faith he has. Confidence. Now I want you to take a moment and just close your eyes. It's not going to get weird, I promise. Just close your eyes for a second. And I want you to call to mind an image of Jesus. Call to mind an image of Jesus. What do you think of what first pops into your head when you think of Jesus? All right, you got it? All right, you can go ahead and open your eyes. What came to mind as you thought about Jesus? Do some of you picture maybe a healer? Maybe a prophet? Uh, maybe you, you pictured him as a shepherd or, or a teacher or a friend? Maybe this guy? Now, how many of you pictured a commander. Show of hands. Honestly, it's not the first thing that pops into my head either. I don't think of Jesus as a commander. But that's exactly how the centurion sees Jesus. He looks at Jesus through his own vocational lens as a soldier, and his Monday work gives him a greater understanding of Jesus than anyone else has shown this far in Luke. He goes on to describe Jesus as a commander with authority. Now, we tend to be a little skeptical of authority in our culture, and much of that is well-deserved. We have seen countless people in authority abuse their power, propagate corruption and injustice. Those are real things that happen. But sometimes I wonder if our total dismissal of all authority makes us miss out on one of the most important aspects of who Jesus is. Here's what I mean. Think, take a moment to think about a military officer. Think about a military officer. An officer has authority over a certain number of troops. And when she issues a command, everyone under her authority obeys that command. Because they're under her authority. Whether she's there with them or from afar relaying the message through people, she just has to issue the command and people under her authority obey. So the centurion's message when put together, sounds something like this. He comes to Jesus, he's like, Jesus, I am not worthy. I'm not worthy to have you do this for me. I don't deserve it. I don't even presume that I should be able to come to you. I'm not even presuming that you should do this for me. It's not worth the extra effort. But I do know this. I know that you're a lot like me. See, I have people under my authority, too. And when I tell them to do something, they do it. 
And I'm not quite sure how right now. I don't really know truly who you even are. But what I know is that you have that same kind of authority over every disease and illness on earth. That if you just issue the command, you don't even have to be here. You don't even have to touch my servant. In fact, if you could take 10 steps back, you could probably still do it from there. If you just say the word, that disease can't help but obey. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. Deep humility, remarkable confidence from an unlikely person. And Jesus marvels. So much that he physically turns to the crowd and draws attention to the man's faith, causing them to ask the same question that he wants them to ask. How does my faith compare to that? And the friends return. And it's exactly as the centurion said. The servant was healed. So here's my question for us this morning. And it's the same question that Jesus implies here. Do I, do you, do we as a church see and experience Jesus this way? Do we have confidence in Jesus' absolute authority over the difficulties in our lives? Do we experience Jesus like that? I have a friend whose family is in the middle of asking God to do something momentous in their lives right now. And it is hard for them. And they are crying out to God in confidence. He said something just last week uh, that, that has stuck with me. This is what he said. Sometimes, I just want people to tell me that Jesus can do anything. I just want people to tell me that Jesus can do anything. And that stuck with me because I think sometimes we make so many excuses for why Jesus doesn't have to do everything that we don't truly believe that he can do anything. Is that how we experience Jesus? Confidence is important. We need confidence in Jesus. But what we see with the centurion is that's not where marvelous faith stops. Confidence doesn't just sit idly by as the hardships of this world and the desires of our heart well up inside of us and are hurled our way. No, marvelous faith takes that confidence in Jesus, takes that confidence in his powerful and willing authority, and it makes bold requests. Marvelous faith is found in bold requests. Friends, I need this message this morning. Because there are things that I want God to do in my life. But I have so much room to grow in making bold requests. A lot of my prayers shy away uh, from making bold requests because I either feel like I need to protect Jesus in case he doesn't follow through or I need to protect myself in case Jesus doesn't follow through. And some of us were, were raised to play it on the safe side and not really make such bold requests because of those very reasons. If you're like me, your prayers usually look something like this. It's like, God, you probably won't do this. I think you can do this, so I'll try, but it's probably not likely, and that's okay, uh, so don't worry about it, really. It's not a big deal, but if for some reason you decide to do it, that would be great, but seriously, don't trouble yourself, God. 
And we give God every opportunity to say no, but do we ever give him the chance to say yes? Do we ever give him the chance to say yes? One way this mentality appears often in our prayer life is in the way that we use the phrase, if the Lord wills. Uh, If you grew up in the church, you were probably taught to pray at the end of your prayers, God, if it is your will. And we see the example of this prayer a couple times in the New Testament, and, and it's a good thing to pray. But we have to understand about that phrase is that it's not an act of concession, but an act of bold submission. We're not conceding that, God, you don't have to do this, don't worry about it. We're boldly submitting it to his authority. Let me give you a couple of examples. In Matthew chapter 8, right before Matthew records the story of the centurion, he tells us of another story of a leper who encountered Jesus. And this leper had been sick uh, with leprosy for a while, and he comes and kneels before him, and he says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. If you will, you can. Friends, he's not conceding that God probably won't do it. That's not what he means when he says, if this is your will. He says, if you are willing, you can. This isn't concession. This is bold submission to Jesus and his authority. Confidence that he can do what he's asking him to do. And Matthew tells us that Jesus replies, I will be clean. Later on in the story, we see Jesus uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before he's about to go to the cross. And Jesus is there, and he's in, in anguish, and he's, he's praying to God. He's saying, God, please let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but yours be done. And Jesus receives a threefold no in response, which raises all kinds of questions. But here's what's important to see. You can't miss this. That this prayer from Jesus is extraordinarily bold. He knows what he was called to do. He knows what he was sent to do. He knows what he was appointed to do. And yet he's boldly praying that under God's authority, he would find another way. Extraordinarily bold. And in our passage this morning, the centurion just asks. Full stop. He knows Jesus can handle the details. I'm not saying these things as some kind of guilt trip because it would guilt trip me too. I'm not saying it is some kind of guilt trip. I'm not saying these things to say that God doesn't want to or, or is not able to work through our fable prayers, because he does. But I'm saying this to suggest that many of us are missing out on a more robust, deeper, more intimate, more powerful prayer life because we have an anemic view of the power and goodness of Jesus. It doesn't matter who you are. It matters who Jesus is. And if he is who he says he is, if he is who the centurion believes that he is, then then when life's difficulties creep in, we should with a humble confidence ask Jesus to say the word. So let me ask you this morning. Where do you need Jesus to say the word? Where in your life right now do you need Jesus to say the word? the word. And what if you asked him today? Now I want to be really clear here, because this has been abused by people in the history of the church. So let me be really clear. Marvelous faith does not mean an automatic yes from God. Marvelous faith understands that God reserves the right to say no. So this isn't a sermon on how to get Jesus to say yes to you. I'm not saying just pray harder, and and if you pray harder, God will say yes. 
That's not what bold faith is. Bold faith is not a blank check. And some of you are in a place where you have been praying boldly for years. And God's answer has been no or not yet. And let me say from experience that that can be so hard. That can be so difficult. It can feel disappointing. And I hope that you'll, you'll, you'll stick with us in this series because in a couple, couple weeks we're going to talk a little bit more about that difficult reality. But if that's you, I want, I want you to hear this this morning. If you've been praying for years boldly to God and haven't received the yes, know this. Jesus marvels at your faith. Jesus marvels at your faith. When I lived in Denver, I had the privilege of hearing a woman named Alice Moss speak. And Alice wrote a book uh, called I Crossed Over. And this book recounted her journey, her story of 40 years of faithful and fervent prayer for her husband's salvation. Through unthinkable adversity, she persistently prayed for her husband's salvation. 40, 40 years. 40 years of daily and boldly asking that Jesus would break into her husband's life. 40 years of disappointment and questions. And as I listened to her, I could not help but marvel at her faith. And I think Jesus did too. Now I'm not going to tell you how it turned out. Uh, You could read the book, but that wasn't her point. Her point wasn't how it turned out. What she wanted us to hear was that both her confidence and her comfort were in the person of Jesus, in his willingness and ability to do what she asked And in his nearness, in the yes, the no, and the not yet. That's what she wanted us to hear. Her confidence and her comfort were in the person of Jesus. And friends, if that's how we see Jesus, then we can have the boldness of Alice, the boldness of the centurion, the boldness of the leper, and so many others throughout the history of the church to ask Jesus to say the word, and to trust his power and goodness. So as we close this morning, I just want to take a few moments for each of us to call to mind our answer to the question, where in your life today do you need Jesus to say the word? Where in your life today do you need Jesus to say the word? I want to give us a few seconds to just sit, to dwell in that, to think about it, You might want to jot your answer down. If you want to, you could grab one of those prayer cards or send one of the pastors an email, and we would love to join you in asking Jesus to say the word in your life. Jot that down, fill out a prayer card, whatever you need to do, but call something to mind. Where do you need Jesus to say the word? Give us a few minutes to think about that. as you continue thinking about things, as you continue writing things down. What I want to do in closing this morning is lead us in a prayer. I'm going to lead us in a prayer of boldly asking Jesus to say the word in our own lives. And here's how it's going to work. I'm going to pray over us, and at the end of each section, I'm going to finish by saying, Lord, if you're willing, 
And when I say that, if we could all say together, you can. Lord, if you're willing, you can. Continue letting the Holy Spirit draw things to mind as we pray together. Let's pray. King Jesus, you tell us that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to you. You have disarmed the powers of this world and ascended to the right hand of the Father, where you rule in power as king over all of creation. You uphold the universe with your word. King Jesus, by that word, would you speak life where there is death? You speak good where there is evil, and you speak hope where there is despair. Because of your great love, please hear our requests, both feeble and bold, and say the word in our lives today. Lord, if you are willing, you can. King Jesus, we turn from the ways that we have failed to trust your power and goodness in our lives. We repent of the times we have made excuses for you, of the times that we have pridefully deemed ourselves deserving of your love. And we repent of the times we have been faithless, even while you remain faithful. In your faithfulness, purify us from all unrighteousness as we receive your great mercy. Lord, if you are willing, you can. King Jesus, we ask that you say the word for each of your servants here in this room this morning. We ask that you would break the chains of addiction, that you would liberate those who are captive to the hold of sin, that you would bring healing to those who are mentally and physically sick. God, that you would comfort those who are suffering, that you would draw near to those who feel their prayers are unheard, that you would restore relationships that are broken, that you would chase down friends and family who are lost, and that you would bring renewal and revival to our city and world in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, if you are willing, you can. King Jesus, what you say we'll trust. We wait on you. As we wait, please keep us firm in the truth of your gospel and the marvelous hope to which you have called us. Lord, if you are willing, you can. We pray this in the name that carries authority to bring healing, wholeness, and renewal to the world. The name of Jesus. And by the power of this spirit who raised him from the dead and lives in each of us. And everyone said, amen. Amen.